23, so if you have Bibles and Bible devices, turn it to Matthew 23, and starting with verse 1. And like I said, we are going to kind of um, review wee bits. We have studied this, and because of that, I'm not going to go as in-depth the first few verses. We're going to kind of go a little bit faster, okay? Uh, because we did do that last week, and I do apologize if you weren't here, but I'm sure you'll catch up, and you'll be fine. So, um, first slide, and we'll read, again, this is a review, Moses' seat a place of authority. Again, we did talk about this last week. It looks familiar. It is familiar. And it starts in verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, even before this, we see them, Jesus, like, like the title of the sermon is, is, Jesus asks questions. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He's demonstrating great authority but the people, the religious leaders of the time, including the Pharisees, don't like him. They feel threatened by him. And so they're trying to trap him, okay? And they're using clever questions to try to trap him. And we already talked about this. But this is, again, in context. So what's happening is these Pharisees, these religious leaders, now they're supposed to be doing good things. They're supposed to be there for the people. You know what I'm saying? To, to mediate, to bring people to God. That's what, the, they're attend, that's, what they're, that's what religious leaders are supposed to do. How, bring people to God, to minister to people, to care for people. But instead, they got it all wrong. And we're going to see a lot of that this morning. One of the things they've got wrong is they got Jesus all wrong. They don't understand that he's the Messiah. He's the one who they've been waiting for, looking for, longing for. They totally miss it. They don't get it. And because of that, they're trying to trap him. They actually want him dead. They want to get rid of him. They see him not as a savior, but as a threat. So, but the funny thing is, so here they are in this Moses seat, if you will, these Pharisees, Yeah. In this place, this is a place of authority. It's, it's, it's kind of more of a legal or political place that, that they happen to have. And, and like I put my little notes here, it's a place of legal judgment authority. However, as clearly we see through the, you know, the lives, the behavior, and the words of the Pharisees, at this time, it wasn't really much in way of spiritual integrity. There was, you know, I mean, it wasn't a criteria, spiritual integrity, rightness. In fact, if anything, they've given up on trying to do what is right. And we'll see that in a moment. So it was more of a political standing or position or role than a righteous one. It was originally meant, again, for those who were, quote-unquote, men of God. But as things go, corruption happens. And so, again, where does it come from? We already looked at it last week, but just a brief summary of what we looked at last week. In Exodus, or not last week, we before that, this is two weeks ago. In Exodus 18.20, it says this. And this is where this comes from. And this is kind of the, the core of where these guys, this idea of Moses' seat comes from. Exodus 18.20 says, teach them. This is, this is um, an instruction that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, gave to Moses. When he says, you're overworking yourself. You're working too hard. You need help. And so he says, you need to teach the people, basically. Okay, teach the people, the Israelites, decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. So Moses' job was to give right instruction, behavior. 
right living, eth- real ethical, moral things to teach the people God's way, okay? But, because he's, there's so many decisions, so much judgment, so much that was required. People were constantly were coming to him and asking, what about this, what about that? It was almost like an overworked judge, you know, and he had to make all these decisions for people, and it was very difficult for him. So he says, okay, but so select then capable men from all the people, men who fear God. And look at the criteria, guys. Look at the, look at the standard here that, 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 that should be set up with this Moses seat. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. So they're not greedy, they're not selfish, they're not out to cut corners and make a quick buck, okay? They were, they were honest. They were content with what they had. They were men who feared God. They understood that God was real, God was, <laughs> he's mighty. He's something to be feared. The word reverence will come up. He's reverent. You know, it's God, if God exists and I have to answer to God, I will do the right thing. That kind of mentality, men who fear God, what God do you want me to do? Trustworthy. Men that you can call upon who will do the right thing when choices of right and wrong appear. Will they do the wrong thing? Will they look after their own selfish interests? No. Generally, this is the kind of people he's looking for are right on kind of guys. You know, they fear God. They're trustworthy. You can put your trust in them. They're honest. And then appoint them as officials. Unfortunately, that's not the Pharisees. And so things have changed in a real bad way. Next slide, please. Okay, but before we get into that, let's remember, guys, the law, okay? Because if this is about the law, okay, and like processing the law. And by the law, I'm not talking about like the laws we know today. I'm talking about like moral laws. You know, the, the, the law, how to be right with God kind of laws. How do we live a right life so that God's pleased with us? That's, that's what the, the Jews were interested in at this time. You know, how to live right with God and live right with men. And here, Jesus already just spoke of this just recently. So this is just, this, 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 this is Matthew 22. So this is just last chapter. So very recently, he answered the question, the foundation, the foundation, the building blocks of the law is love. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay, so this should be kind of the responsibility that these religious leaders have. They should be people who love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their mind, and they should be teaching other people how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, and with all your mind. But that's not the end of it. The second command, that's the first and the greatest, but then there's a second, and the second is this, love, again. But look where the love is directed. The first love is directed towards God. The second love we see here is directed towards other people. Notice it's not directed to one's self and directed towards one's self-interest. And the word self-esteem doesn't appear in here. The, word, the idea of self-care and self-love is, is absent in these. And I think if, you wanna, if you're interested in self-esteem and self-care, which is all very important things, I think you should learn how to love God first and love others as you love yourself. And then I think you will be a healthy <laughs> mental person. You'll be a healthy spiritual person. You'll even be healthy physical. There's something about getting your eyes off of yourself and your problems for a while and looking at another person and trying to see how can I help them? How can I be a carer? How can I be a blessing to them that actually heals the soul? And there's no need to talk about self-esteem 
if we're loving other people, and then, you know, we just, because we get off our eyes off ourselves for a while. And that's kind of important, yeah? So love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws, all the prophets, everything the prophets said, you know, in these old, in the Old Testament books that we have here still today, and what they were looking at then. All these things, all these commandments, all these laws, they're hung up on these two principles. These are commandments, but foundations are principles. This, this, is what the, this is the heart of God right here, guys. We're looking at the heart of God. And so these Pharisees, the religious leaders and disciples, it's in our best interest to understand this so we can know how to rightly live our lives. Decisions come and go. How do we, make the right, how do we know we're making the right choices? Because we, if we're doing this, we're in pretty good shape. Okay, so these leaders, again, they should not only be capable, God-fearing, trustworthy men who are, who are haters of dishonest gain, but they should also be representative of God's agape love. And where's I put the word agape? Is agape is a special kind of love in the Greeks, which, which is sacrificial. Again, so it's not really about one's interest. It actually, it, 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 its existence is dependent upon sacrificing. What can I give up? For myself, so that I can give to another. So this agape love, this sacrificial kind of love. Okay, so these people, these religious leaders, the Pharisees, again, they're meant to be lovers of God and other people not lovers of themselves. They're supposed to minister or help, care for people, not oppress them, not burden them, not control them, not manipulate them, okay? You see the, the contrast? You see the problem here? The danger of this, as you'll soon shall see, comes when there's a separation, a chasm, a divide between clergy and laity. And we're going to talk about that some more. You know what I'm talking about with clergy and laity? Clergy is like, oh, the, the, the men and women of God, you know, the, 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 the folk of the cloth, the ones who wear the collars and stuff like that. You know, the, oh, he's high and mighty. He's close to God. Or they, that person's close to God. But me, I'm just a common Christian kind of like different. That's not a good way to look at things. And we're going to deal with that in a moment. In fact, if anything, it causes a lot of problems for everyone. This, this, this mentality of dividing, lifting up the clergy and keeping the lady down is, is a big part of the corruption that happened in the Middle Ages. Okay? And so this is not a good thing. Next slide, please. So the problem. The clergy at that time are of no help to the people. <laughs> so again, these people who are supposed to be the men, of the, the, the representatives of God, are not really helping the people. They're not ministering to people. There are no help. There are no benefit. The people weren't knowing God. They weren't getting close to God like they were supposed to. So Matthew 23, verses 3 to 4, it says this. So you must be careful. This is Jesus warning the people. <laughs> right in front of the Pharisees, be careful to do everything they tell you because what they say is the law, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And we talked about that, and a simple, simple translation of it is, they say they don't do. They're hypocrites. They're two-faced. The religious leaders are supposed to help the people. Instead, they have total, this kind of total, I call it defeatist attitude, because they see how impossible the law is. So they set themselves up. I am mighty. And they put these burdens, these heavy, cumbersome loads, these big, heavy, moral, legal weights upon their shoulders. 
They and they look look what they do in this look what they do. But they themselves are not willing, not willing to lift a finger to they're no help. They 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 put weights, they put burdens, they put demands, they put requests, they put control, manipulation, all these things that just weigh the people down. But they have no help. They don't give them any real solutions to their lives. They're willing to declare guilt. Oh, you're breaking the law. But they cannot do anything really practically to actually solve the problem, to help the people. Next slide, please. And again, this, this one we actually decided, again, we looked at last week briefly, but I, I kind of really jammed through it really fast. So I, I kind of want to re- revisit it. So the problem, again, the clergy, these ones who are lifted up and separated from the laity, which we see here and will continue to see as a problem. At that time, they're supposed to be, as we saw right there, loving lovers of God and lovers of others. This agape love, right? Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and loving others and themselves. But instead, they are doing what we ought not, what they ought not, the, the danger if they go against agape love, and they love themselves with great passion, with great intensity. So again, verses 5 and 7 says this. Everything they do is done for people to see them. They want to be acknowledged. They want a nice big pat on the back. Oh, I want people to think I'm great. I'm wonderful. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassel on the garments long. Again, here's the phylacteries right here. It's... It, 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 in my opinion, it's, it's kind of a neat thing because it's a symbol. And like other symbols, it points, it points to something significant, right? As a symbol, it should point to something really significant. What's the significant thing that this point to? Well, it points to Deuteronomy 6.6.8, okay? Which is quite a beautiful, loving verse. Look at this. This is God speaking to his people, okay? He says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts, Impress them on your children. Again, this is so important that it should be impressed on your heart like a stamp. Make them a part of who you are as a person and your children. Impress them. Again, stamp it on your children. You know, Recite it to them. Tell them all about it. Remind them. Make it a part of who they are. Talk about them. I love this. This is philosophy in its, in its most effective form. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, that is where, that's, that's where, as they say, the rubber meets the road. This is where we have, we have a lot of ideas and theories and great you know, thoughts about everything. But when we sit and we talk and we minister to each other, especially about important things. I'm not talking about just vain philosophy here, by the way. I'm talking about God and knowing God and passing on important God commandments, God principles to the, to the next generation. Things that Israel did not do and caused Israel great problems. Anyone with a basic understanding of the Old Testament will know that Israel failed so much because they failed to pass on these commandments and these important principles to the next generation. Impress them on your children. Talk about it with them when you sit at home, when you walk along the roads. So that's a modern way to define that would be when you're driving down the road in your car. You know what I'm saying? Because back then they would walk places, but now we drive places. So if we're on the bus, the train, talk about it with your children. When you lie down, so when you're chilling out, when you get up, 
Tie them as symbols in your hands. And by, so again, symbols, the idea of symbols is to point to something really important, really significant. So these symbols, okay, you could do the symbol, you can wrap the thing around your arm and your head and everything else, but are you really doing it? Again, you see where the hypocrisy comes in and the fakery comes in. Are you really doing it? Is, are, these really, are you really impressing them on your hearts? Are you pressing them on your children's hearts? Or are you just wearing it wide and long to impress the people? Look at me. Aren't I wonderful? That's what they were doing. That's, the, that's a problem. So again, they love the place of honor. Again, pat on the back. On you go, brother, rabbi, father, reverend, all these big fancy words. On you go. Thumbs up. You're, you're, you're the man of the hour. God, man of God. I love you. You're great. That's what they're looking for. A pat on the back. Place of honor at banquets. I'll come to your wedding, but make sure I get the head table. Because I deserve it. Because I'm great. And the most important seats in the synagogues. When I come to church, make sure my church has extra padding on it. And that's right in front so I can hear the music. And I can, you know, so that I might be filled. Because I'm so important. I need to be filled. Pride, arrogance, this is all twisted and weird. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace. Again, they love their titles. They love to be called rabbi. Rabbi. And we're going to talk about that right now. Rabbi, and I mentioned, I put here a little note just before we go on, what's rabbi is all about by others. And I thought, what does that mean? Does that mean they like to be respected by other rabbis? But the word is, is anthropos, which is where we get the word you know, anthropology from. And it speaks of mankind in general. They want everyone to think they're great. Next slide. Please don't call me teacher. <laughs> You'll see why. And by the way, we're going to be in this verse for probably the next 10 minutes. This is a core section of what we're studying right now, okay? Core. So, we're going to, so the next, actually the next three slides are going to be the exact same verse. It's just I couldn't fit all my notes on it. <laughs> So I had to duplicate it. So bear with me. Matthew 23, 10, 8 to 10 says this. But you are not to be called rabbis. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers, siblings, brothers and sisters. And do not call anyone on earth father. For you have one father in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors. Some translations will say teachers. For you have one instructor or one teacher. The Messiah. Now, the reason why this presents a problem to me is like, isn't that kind of a big part of our vision for Cornerstone? Is to like, it's a teaching ministry. It's equip saints. It's to tell people this is how you you instruct people. This is how you learn. And and, and that is, frankly, my vision. My heart is not to tell you what to do, not to control. In fact, you ask anyone who's actually met with me for ask advice. I always do the same thing. I never tell you what I think. Always ask, what's God telling you? And I'll tell you why I do that as we look at these verses. Because I'm not, and what I want to do in my heart, my vision for the ministry is, is to teach you guys how to learn, how to seek God for yourselves, how to read the Bible for yourselves, how to, how to have a relationship with God for yourselves. Again, don't forget, we talked about earlier the separation of the clergy and laity. Laity 
expected the clergy would, would, would meet that criteria. They would not want to be seen as some kind of guru, some spiritual guru that has all your information and get your life sorted for you. I'm just Scott, okay? What I do have knowledge of, really of, is studying the Word of God. Meet that role in their lives, that they would fill them spiritually and, make, and ensure that they were safe. You know what I'm saying? The laity, they look up at the clergy and they say, make sure that we're right with God. Make sure that when we die, we go to heaven. That's all we care about. <laughs> Just make sure that we're right with God. And you're responsible for that. I can't, and no man can really be, or woman, can really honestly fill that role rightly. Only Christ can fill that role rightly. And that's what we're seeing in these verses. So, in context, these men, the Pharisees, right, what we see they're doing is they're lording their authority over the people, right? They use their influence to control people, to manipulate and again, remember I mentioned even the Middle Ages a little bit, the corruption of the church in the Middle Ages, what happened there? Very similar corruption because of the separation of the clergy and laity, right? You, these higher-ups, if you will, turn their power into corruption to control people, manipulate. They do not teach people how to learn for themselves, to give them spiritual understanding so that they might grow and be matured. Rather, they use their teaching to give people orders, right? This is what you need to, again, to tying heavy weights around their necks. Orders, this is what, you know, this is how you failed, now you need to do this or whatever. Giving them these, these heavy weights. These are what Jesus has warned us about already in Matthew 7, 15 to 16, when he said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, so they look right on, but inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Again, these Pharisees, it's clear that they're only out for themselves. They love themselves. They want to be honored. They want to be praised. They want to be lifted up. But you will recognize them by the fruit. And we're going to look at that in a moment. This is a, a stark contrast to the ministry of pastoring and teaching that Paul and the other disciples clearly had themselves and they also acknowledged as being important functions within the church. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, it says this. So Christ, this is what Christ has done for you guys. This is what Christ has done for us, guys. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. For what reason? For the body of Christ to be built up. The point of these functions within the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, to equip people. You see, not to control, not to tell them what to do, what to think, but to equip. Do you see the difference? You come to me and say, Scott, what do you think? And if I do give you my opinion, I always make it very clear. Now listen, this is what the Bible says, boom, boom, boom. But then I might say, but however, if it was me in a situation, I might do this. And I make it very clear that's my opinion. Because my opinion is only worth my opinion. The word of God's worth much more. And if we can seek that, and we can learn how to, how, to, how to use this important instrument, then we'll have much more wonderful, full lives as Christians. Next slide, please. So there's the context. Let's look at the words. I love to look at the original language. It's very helpful when doing our studies. So Matthew, again, 23, 8 to 10, it says, But you are not to be called rabbi, teacher. That's the word here, rabbi. Not just teacher, okay, but look at the language. Look how filled this is with, with, with <laughs> potential puffing upness. <laughs> my great one, my honorable sir. It's a title used by the Jews to address their teachers and also honor them 
when they're not addressing them. This is my notes. I think that this may be for the particular interest of the Pharisees. So don't forget, he is, he's rebuking the Pharisees here. I think this is the word that the Pharisees would, would very commonly use to, to speak about each other. And for, again, for me personally, you may disagree with me, I don't like titles, especially titles like the word reverend. I joke about it sometimes. Please call me honorable, righteous, reverend, you know, righteous Scott Key, because I think it's ridiculous. I'm just Scott. I don't like those titles. What's that, what's that mean, reverend? Isn't God and God alone reverent? If you start fearing men, that's the problem with the Pharisees. They're being feared by men, and they were using that fear to control them. Again, reverend, bring me to God. Make sure I'm right with God. Baptize me at the right time. Make sure I have my last rites, and make sure I do everything just right, and I'm covered, so when I die, I can go to heaven. What's that all about? What a right, proper reverend or whatever should ought to do, and I'm sure they are doing all around this country. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being mean for mean's sake. I'm, there, there's a lot of really good people out there who call themselves reverends. I know them personally. I just don't like their titles. But they do good work, and they're evangelical. But, 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 but if they're doing the right job right, what they're doing is they're bringing people to Christ. This is how you find Christ. This is how you talk to Christ. This is how you get to know God through Christ. Okay, so... We're not to call each other rabbis or just great honorable sirs, whatever, because we have one teacher, one teacher, one teacher who we can access. I know people in ministry who, who, who ought to practice these things, and their phones are constantly ringing. Oh, this, oh, I need this, and I need this, and I need that. I'm glad my phone's quiet. I don't want to be bothered, no offense. <laughs> I don't want to be bothered. What I do is I want you to learn for yourselves how to handle the word of God. Because ultimately, think about it, I'm not going to be here someday. And you're going to be responsible for passing it on. Remember what we said earlier about imprinting it in your heart and imprinting it on other people's heart, your children's heart? I'm not going to be around forever. You guys, especially the younger ones, are going to be the old gens of the future. And, and if you rely too much on us old gens to answer your questions for you, how are you going to answer your own questions when you get older? We need to teach you guys how to think for yourselves. How to seek God yourselves. How to find the Messiah yourselves. How to have a proper relationship with God. And not just to be covered so when you die you go to heaven. And again, so we have one father, one teacher, and we're all brothers. Or siblings, rather. We are siblings of the same father. And one quote that I don't know where it comes from, but I hear a lot in the church association that, that Cornerstone's, you know, Grouped with Calvary guys. I hear it said all the time, the foot of the cross is even ground. This is the problem. When you start getting a shift and you have the clergy up here and lay it up here, and the, and the foot of the cross becomes uneven, becomes wonky. That's where this control, manipulation, even laziness and stuff like that, apathy, complacency occurs. But the, le- but the foot of the cross is level. We all sit at the cross together. I remember one time we had a conference a long time ago and there was a, um, one of the pastors was newly married to this lady who came from the deep South America and they're very religious and very strict and she was shocked that, the, that these religious men would walk around and talk like they're normal people to people. She's like, wait, isn't he one of the, like, isn't he like one of the pastors of one of the biggest churches and, and such as, and isn't that person like, isn't he related to someone who's really important? And we're like, yeah, so, big deal. But but look, and they're walking around with us, and they're talking to us, and I'm like, what do you expect them to be? Go hide up in their towers or something? Yeah, the, the ground at the foot of the cross. These people are sinners, just like you and I. These people have their fights and the struggles, just like you and I. These people are saved by grace, just like you and I. 
We're siblings of the same father. The foot of the cross is even ground. Corruption comes when the ground starts to shift, when a separation between the clergy and laity happens. We see this here. We've also seen, like I said, in the Middle Ages, the church. This is where abuse of power can tend to happen at the higher levels. You know, the you know, levels up there, when you start lifting people up. Abuse of power, control. You know, I don't like how you're doing that. You need to change that. Oh, okay, sorry, reverend, you know, whatever. And also, equally as bad is at the lower level. Well, because they're doing the work of the ministry and they're close to God, I don't have to do hee-haw. And so down the lower level, we get complacency, laziness, and mediocrity. Don't you realize we're all together on this, guys? We're all together on this. We all need to see God's will for our lives. Next slide, please. I told you, we're going to be on this verse for a long time. But I think it's quite a heavy-duty one. Again, do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors or teachers, for you have one instructor or teacher, the Messiah. Okay? So, the word father again. Now, this is confusing because I have a daddy and I call him father sometimes. Am I, am I going to be judged by God for calling my dad father? No. That, that's, that's, that, if, if you think that way, well, you're not getting it. He's talking about something a lot more heavy duty. Again, we talked about relationships, especially that father relationship. In this time in the culture, there is a, such a serious respect and honor for these fathers. Like, for instance, remember he rebuked the, um, or trapped uh, one group. Of, it was the Pharisees, in fact, because he said to them, you know, Who's um, you know the, like da- who's who's father you know whose lineage is, is, is the Messiah coming through and he goes well David David's his father but then why did he call his him Lord he said my Lord said to my Lord and you would never a father would never call someone under him a child or you know grandchild or so on any way down that line Lord because it's irreverent it's out of line out of order not respectful and so this, the idea of a father is of origin it's of it's of great honor and respect. So it's not just daddy we're talking about here. We're talking about authority and control again, I hate to say. So only God then here is the father. We have only one father, and that's a father in heaven. And again, like I said, when I study, there's a ton of information in regards to this. And the common thread seems to be this idea of authority and even superiority, okay? But for context's sake, I, I reduced this, and I believe the best definition is found here, where it says, patre, father. A title of honor, teachers, as those to whom pupils trace back their knowledge. Again, so it's about a source of information. Where is your source from? And back then, it was very common that when you would say something that was informative, you would, have, you would link it to a source. Father such and such, rabbi such and such said this. So you're tracing back the origin, not just of your you know, like a father would be the origin of your biological self, but the origin of your information, your knowledge, your theories. So you trace information back to the father, the originator. And the ultimate originator of real true knowledge is God himself. Okay? So again, teachers, as those to whom the people trace back their knowledge and training, they have received the members of the Sanhedrin, whose prerogative it was by virtue of the wisdom and experience in which they excelled. To take charge of the interest of others. To take charge of the interest of others. You see, yeah, that's kind of a loaded gun, don't you? Oh, I'm taking charge of your interest. Control. Manipulation can easily occur when this happens. 
I know more than you. I know better than you. So you, know, you listen to me and just be obedient to me. Who are you obedient to? Not me, not to the person, not to these rabbis, not to these fathers, but to God. And as a father and as a, as a, as a teacher, as a pastor, my responsibility is to make sure you are obedient to God. If you're obedient to me, what's that going to do in the long run? I mean, most people I hate to say who, who pretend like they're obedient to me end up lying anyways. And I just say, why lie? Just tell me the truth so I can know how to pray for you, right? But the thing is, you can't lie to God because God sees right in your heart. He is your true father. He is one. And again, the idea of father, I mean, last night, for instance, Miles was not feeling well. And I went down there and in his room to check on him. And he goes, I put his arms up. He goes, and I think it's such a beautiful thing, you know. It's like a father is someone we could turn to when we have a need and we have fearful and we're scared. And that's our father in heaven. He's there. He's practical. He's there. And we could turn to him. Even if our, heavenly, our earthly fathers fail us, we know that our heavenly father is there. And we can put our arms up to him and say, Abba, Father, please, Daddy, I'm scared. I need your help. And know that he's there. And, and, he, and that's the thing that Jesus is trying to teach that I'm trying to reiterate so clearly is that we need to rely on God. We need to turn to God ourselves. We need to find God ourselves on a daily basis. We need to learn to have the practice of turning to God through Jesus Christ. So instructors, teachers. We see that down here at the very bottom here. Okay, Kathy, Kathy Ganetes, that's a big word. And this can be translated as teacher. It's here in NIV, it's instructors, but it could also be translated as teachers. However, when I, again, when I researched this word, there's a, a great deal more than just simply giving people information and helping people out and instructing them on how to, you know, maybe because, you know, like we see the roles in Ephesians, pastors, teachers, whatnot. There's something more to this. There's a lot of great deal of weight to this idea of teacher. This person is more like a spiritual guide or a guru. Even I've seen it even used in various places as the word master. Okay, so this is a great authority. Someone you turn to trusting, but you can't yourself hear from the word of God, but they will give you the word of God. This is the person that you would go to and trust that from them you hear from God. This person might be called a teacher, pastor, minister, priest, prophet, evangelist, anything. doesn't matter what you call them. It's that person who takes a very important role that only Christ should have. The point here is that they replace the right place of Christ in your life. And therefore, what happens consequently is there's no need for a relationship with Christ. Don't need Christ. You just... You, you turn to that person. You might call him priest or whatever. And you call him up on the phone every year or you see him on Christmas or Easter once a year and say, listen, am, am I okay still with God? Oh, yes. You were baptized in this church? Yes, you're okay with God. You know what I'm saying? It, it, what it does is it produces cheapness. It doesn't produce proper discipleship. It, it produces cheapness. There's no need for a relationship with Christ if someone else is doing the work for you. Yeah? Next slide, please. So here's a quick test. Here's a quick test, guys, okay? Is a teacher good? Do we have a good teacher or do we have a bad teacher? Here's a test. Does the teacher in question fulfill the biblical criteria? That's always the first question. That's the first thing we should do as disciples of Christ, is know the Word of God and check it with the Word of God. Does, does this thing, does this relationship, does this ministry, does this, does this person, are, they, are their lives fulfilling the biblical criteria? And by the way, <laughs> the biblical idea isn't just limited to these verses. I just threw these out because this happened to be what I had at hand at the time. Okay? 
However, it's a good place to start, yeah? And I already brought up Matthew 7, 16. I already brought up Ephesians 4, 12. So here's a good, here's some couple good verses. There's lots of them, but here's some good ones to start with. First one is, I see Robert struggling looking at the clown, and I'm loving it. Matthew 7, 16 says this, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay, by their fruit, you recognize them. So we're allowed to look at their behavior, their actions, their, you know, things they do. To equip his people for the work of service. Are they doing this? Is their behavior, you know what I'm saying? Are they producing fruit that represents that they're equipping people for the work of service? Okay? Are they telling people what to do? Are they controlling people? Are they giving them really good advice, information? Or are they equipping people for a work of service? A good teacher is a part of who we are. We talk about the body of Christ a lot. And teachers are part of who we are. It's a part of the full, healthy, functioning body. So they're with us. They're one of us, these teachers, yeah? A good teacher is a part of who we are as a body of Christ. And they point to the cross as the way to God. So if you notice here, i got a bunch of people here. A teacher is dispersed amongst us. He may be one of those colors. I don't know what color. Maybe the blue guy with the wheelchair. He's our teacher for the, for the moment. That person, if he's doing his job right, points clearly to the cross. And that cross is the way to God. Right? There's God. You want to find him? There's a cross. Jesus is the way, the only way to God. There's no other way besides him. A bad teacher is equivalent to a clown. Yes, Robert, that's a clown. Why are you looking down for? Okay, so the clown, a bad teacher, he gets in the way. He gets in the way of the cross. Now, notice how I, I kind of made the cross a little bit more faded. I probably should have made it fade even more, but I wasn't sure if it was even going to be seen on the screen. But the point I'm trying to make is this. It obscures. It gets in the way of the cross. Obstructs it. Obstructs our vision from God. Because if the cross is the way to God... And if the cross is obscured, then God's going to be obscured. And I know many preachers, I read a lot of pop culture things that's going on in the States, and man, there's some so-called leaders of Christianity that just do the weirdest things that just foul all over the cross and obscure the cross with all kinds of ridiculous nonsense. A good teacher is one of us. He points to the cross. These clowns are going to get in the way, like wolves in sheep clothing, to obscure like these Pharisees were doing, they're obscuring people's vision from the Messiah, the cross, yeah? How are we going to see God? If Jesus is the only way to God, how are we going to see him if we can't see Jesus? So there's a good test. Take it. Chew on it. Eat it. Live it. Next one. And this is the last slide. Okay, you all watch them really carefully? Okay, go back. Nope. Go. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, I won't mess you no more, Robert. He likes clowns, by the way. Okay, so in conclusion... And by the way, we are going to continue. This is a continuation. Good teachers serve the church. Matthew 23, 12, 12 says this. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Bad teachers. They shut the door of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 23, 13 says this. Whoa, and this is something we're going to deal with. That's why I say it's a continuation. We're going to deal with these seven woes in contrast with the blessings of the Sermon on the Mount. And they're, they, they match really well. So if good teachers, as we see in Matthew 23, 12, they humbly serve. The contrast, bad teachers, they shut the kingdom of the door. Woe to you teachers, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. They should be opening doors, not shutting doors. Yeah? A good leader brings people to God, not hinders them from God. But these hypocrites are shutting the doors. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying. I'm going to talk more about this the next time I teach will be in three weeks because Stuart is going to be teaching a two-part series for the next two weeks. After that, I think we may have communion or one more teaching and then I'll do this. But to conclude, Christ opens the doors, guys. Christ opens the door. We need to keep our eyes on that, on the cross. He opens the doors of the kingdom of heaven. If someone shut the doors, you get away from them. Matthew 5.3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus looked upon the people. He saw these poor spirits and says, Guess what, guys? The kingdom of heaven is yours. The hypocrites, the Pharisees, they try to keep the people away from the kingdom of, of God. Jesus came to give these poor spirits the kingdom of God. of the